Welcome to the Film Coterie. I'm Roger. I'm Adam. And this is episode number 38 for the week of January the 20... What is this, the 4th? 5th? Yes, 25th. January the 25th, 2018. Our one-year anniversary of the Film Coterie podcast. I'm looking for balloons or something to fall down from the ceiling. Are there any yeah, surprises? Where's the whistles? And the We'll put a little sound, maybe a little mini sound effects. Some applause. Okay, Yep, applause, there it is. Cue we made the, it a year. Cue, cue the applause, we made it one year. We're still on the air, loud and proud and all those good things. Well, the good thing is nobody can take us off the air except ourselves. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we might be the very last podcast. We answer to no one. The very last podcast standing, right, Adam? I guess. Oh, my gosh. So, one year of doing this show. How many episodes have we done in this first year? Uh, this is number 38 of the official podcast, but overall, with all the mini-episodes, spoiler cast, TFC Classics, interviews, we had 52 episodes. Yes. Now, now looking back, Adam, from January of 2017 with The Founder, our first episode, to where we are now. what ha- Hostels. From Founder <laughs> to Hostels. I'm telling you. What, what has surprised you? What has stuck out the most over the last year? What's something that's unexpected? Uh, that has stuck out to you? Um, I w- we mixed it up more than I thought. I really like some of our interview episodes. Obviously, the, the the directors that were kind enough to come in and talk with us. Um, but my favorite episode is probably the Buxton Inn episode because it was unique. Yeah, We were on location in kind of a haunted location. And we had uh, Clay Chapman call in and share a story with us. Yeah, very fun episode. And uh, I have to say, some of our interviews have been, I've really enjoyed those. And um, getting behind, you know, my friend Dahmer, the the, the, the uh, um, uh, director was good enough to yeah, come Mark on. Yeah, Mark Myers. Yeah, Mark Myers came on and interviewed with us, and he was so gracious. I mean, we're just this little podcast, just kind of getting started up. Two and, dudes in a room, <laughs> you know. And he was he was cool enough to come on and really yeah. talk about the process, and uh, you know, th- that was kind of really that was really nice of him to do so. And uh, the Greasy Strangler, he keeps promoting our podcast. Yes. I, I can't get enough when he just spends all day retweeting and sharing the link. Yep. But uh, he was a lot of fun. He was my personal favorite interview just because I like the Greasy Strangler so much. And then for him just to be so funny and warm, it was a, a fun interview for me. Awesome. Um, I, I've enjoyed, uh, like I said, I've enjoyed doing a couple classic episodes and some something a little bit different. I've enjoyed some of our banter back and forth. You know, that's been fun. Uh, a lot of times we agree on the movies, but it's fun when we disagree as well, too. Right. <clears throat> but we def- I can promise you this on the Film Coterie. If you're listening to this podcast, we don't do anything for theatrics or drama. If we <laughs> no. disagree, it's not like Adam's like, I'll take the like side and Roger, you take the hate side. We, we are an honest podcast. Yeah. Uh, sometimes we'll surprise each other and not discuss the movie before going on the podcast. Other times we stand in the parking lot of the movie theater and go over it in depth and really discuss the film. Right. Absolutely. So I've enjoyed this last year, and uh, I think, you know, we have a great show lined up for today. Not only is this our one-year anniversary, but this is also the big reveal, our top 10 films of 2017. This was so hard to do. You and I were sitting here still shuffling the lists. I promise you if I looked at my letterbox list tomorrow. You'll shuffle it. I would shuffle it again. I would too. Yeah, it's it. Really, if anybody says this was a down year for movies, just probably didn't give enough give enough chance to see some movies because there is some great films out from 2017. Yeah, I, I put 43 movies in my best of list, and as I cut it down <clears throat> to 10, 
there was 22 or 23 that were realistically vying for a spot in that list. So, I mean, I loved a lot of movies this year. Yeah, I'm looking at my top, my best of 2017. I had 28 films. Uh, last year, I had 13 or 14 in my best of. So it wasn't so hard to do your <laughs> list. You just had to cut three or four. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But uh, I'm excited to do that, and I'm excited to share that. We also have a movie to review. Hostels is out, you know, uh, the new Christian Bale Western. So we're going to review that. So I think we just ought to jump right in with our top 10. Anything yeah, else? Yeah, so as a preview, how we're going to do it. We're going to do our bottom five first, 10 through six. We'll review hostels. Right. And we'll, we'll come back and do our top five. And if there's a if there's a point in time where we, well, let's just get into it and we'll, we'll go ahead and cue the music and get into our top, our and bottom five. Yeah. Well, thank you to the people that sent in their list. We, we will reveal uh, the viewer's choice results during our top five. Awesome. You're listening to the Film Cutter. We will be right back after the music. back and it's time to reveal our top 10 movies of 2017 and just like adam had mentioned in this segment we're going to do our bottom five our 10 through six and uh we were concerned about a little bit of crossover but it looks like uh, maybe two or three of our films crossed over and so we decided to kind of keep the show moving along and not to talk about movies twice if one of our movies comes up at our lower slot and somebody else, if, if Adam has it at the higher slot, then we're just going to wait and talk at it. Talk about the movie at the higher slot. If that makes any sense whatsoever, you'll kind of, you'll kind of, you'll, you'll kind of follow along with us and catch, catch what's going on here. So, all right, Adam, let's jump right in. Got our fancy paper uh, list here. High tech paper list. Yes. Let's start with number 10. What, Adam, uh, was your number 10 movie of the year? There were a lot of movies fighting for this spot. And at the end, I'll, I'll reveal some of my near misses. But my number 10 movie was Killing of a Sacred Deer. Yes. From Yorgos Lanthimos. I saw it at Fantastic Fest, and then I saw it again with Roger when it hit theaters in November. I love this movie. This is some of the best movie conversations I had all year. Everyone has theories on this movie. It offers no easy answers. It's some very interesting performances from the cast. And it's just a movie to, to digest and think about. It'll actually kind of rock you to your core. It's affected some people pretty seriously just because it's so out there. So that's my number 10, just for the conversation alone, is Killing of a Sacred Deer. And I would have to say, without a doubt, this movie was the... Um, I may have to bleep myself. The mind F of the year. <laughs> you didn't see Mother. This, I, did, I did not. This and Mother were by far the best movie conversation movies. Yep. And, and I've got to give it to the kid. Uh, I can't remember his name now that played, that was in Killing of a Sacred Deer. The, 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 lead, the lead actor. From Dunkirk as well. Yeah. He's just tremendous in this film. I mean, just, just absolutely great. And, uh, Man, that's a movie that'll mess with you. Yeah, and Colin Farrell and Nicole Kidman, too, if you haven't seen the movie. It's it's out on iTunes now. Killing yeah. of a Sacred Deer. Absolutely. Well, well, my number 10 is a um, 
superhero movie, a blockbuster. That I'll be honest with you, I went into the theater going, okay, another Marvel movie, you know, I, I don't know if I'm even going to like it. And I came out of the theater loving this film, and that's Thor Ragnarok. And I tell you one thing, it's probably, Winter Soldier is still my favorite of the Marvel Extended Universe new films so far. But Thor Ragnarok was just every every reason you go to the movie theater is Thor Ragnarok. It was fun. It was big. It was loud. It was funny. The crowd was into it. We laughed. I mean, it was just a great one of those just this is why you don't watch it at home. You watch it on a big screen kind of deal. So my number 10 was Thor Ragnarok. How many times did you see it in the theater? At least twice. I'm trying to see if I saw it three times. I saw it with us. Mm -hmm. I saw it in IMAX with my kids, and it was better. 3D IMAX was actually 3D ultra screen, whatever that is, was better the second time. And yeah, just twice. I just saw it twice. Yeah, I saw it twice too. And this one really holds up. It was just as much fun for me. Just as fun the second time. Absolutely. Okay, that goes to number nine. And when we get to number nine, my number nine is going to appear a little bit later on our list, and so I won't mention my number nine right now. The first mystery movie. First mystery movie. So, Adam, let's go with your number nine film of the year. Okay. If you know me, I've told you to watch this film. I think I've told everybody I know they must go watch this film, especially since it is now on Amazon Prime, and you can see it for free. That is Brawl and Cell Block 99. This movie hit its mark. It knew exactly what it wanted to be, and I, I felt like they hit the bullseye on it. It's fun. It's grindhousey. It's crazy violent, and it it resulted in what I think is the best performance of Vince Vaughn's career. It is great, I tell you, and it's it's one of those. Is it a gr- not really grindhouse movie, but it's it's just. Uh, you know, I, I it was one of the best theater reactions of the year. Oh, it's so good to watch with people. You know? Oh, uh, <laughs> exactly. I mean, everyone will react. Exactly. I'll never forget, we were in the small theater up at Gateway Film Center. House 8. Yeah, House 8. And this young lady sits down right beside me. And the first crunch scene, the first really bad one, she just, this loud, oh, I didn't know it was going to be this kind of movie, you know? And so I just, from that point on, I just enjoyed it. Great, great movie. So that'll bring us to our number eight. Why don't you start with your number eight here? Okay. My number eight. Oh, yeah. This is a movie that snuck up on me that I wasn't expecting to really. I'd heard some rumblings about it. I knew it was getting some critical acclaim. And um, uh, and so I thought, well, I didn't really want to watch it. But I ended up going to the theater and seeing it, catching it. Thanks to the glorious thing of Movie Pass, just thought oh, I'll pop in on and watch this movie, and it's the Florida Project, and it stars Willem Dafoe and um, uh, Brooklyn Prince. I mean, just just a great cast, um, directed by Sean Baker. Um, man, and this movie, I mean. What do I say about this movie? I've thought about this movie for days after I watched it. It gets under your skin. It really does. And it's shot from the perspective of these young girls that are playing in this this hotel right outside of Disneyland. Right, right, excuse me, Disney World. Right outside of Disney World in Orlando, Florida. And it's one of those bright pink 
you know, the, the, the rent by the day, almost rent by the week hotels kind of a deal. And it's a young woman's struggle on the verge of being homeless with this young girl. And this movie just really, I tell you, I wouldn't be surprised if Willem Dafoe won an award for this movie. You He's know? really good in this. He's great in it. It makes you think. Uh, it makes you consider the plight of somebody that's maybe a little more disenfranchised than you. And like American Honey last year, this is showing us a slice of life we may not be experienced with. You know, that these, these people... In the movie, at least, you know, live this close to Disney and live in these hotels and these little colonies. Um, but yeah, William Defoe is great in this. He's the only one that notices the kids and looks out for the kids. But Sean Baker did an amazing job casting this movie because Brooklyn Prince, this was her debut. Um, her mom was Haley, and uh, Bria was found on Instagram. She and would she's just great. She would just she's do great stupid little film. videos, and Sean saw her and cast her from Instagram. And those two have such good chemistry, you don't doubt for a second they're mother-daughter. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, what Willem Dafoe is, I mean, a huge actor. I, I consider him A-list. He's done broad spectrum, spectrum of films. And when you see Willem Dafoe, you see Willem Dafoe on the screen. I mean, you know instantly, oh, that's Willem Dafoe. And he literally loses himself in this performance. He, he, he becomes that maintenance manager, the manager of that hotel, you don't see Willem Dafoe. He 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 disappears. He never gets this kind of role. Like in my head, if I was writing the script for you know the older maintenance guy, I might have gone with like Thomas Hayden Church. Yeah, exactly. Someone like yep. that. But Willem Dafoe, he kills it, and it's just not a role he ever gets to do. So that's my number eight, uh, the Florida Project. Adam, what's your number eight? My number eight happened to be your number nine. Yes, it did. So I will reveal it. It is Ghost Story with Casey Affleck. Uh, this movie really makes you ponder eternity. Um, yep. It's an experience. And that's what I really liked about it is that this kind of sucked me away for 90 minutes, two hours, however long it is. I went along for the ride and it was very intriguing to me. This concept of, of just time being vast and in a loop. And there's lots of stuff to make you have existential dread after you watch this movie. Well, I, I could not agree more. I just was really spellbound. Um, you know, you, you think a movie starring Casey Affleck where he's wearing a sheet, a literal wears, Charlie Brown sheet. The cheapest Halloween costume you could think yes, of. Yes, with two sheet. holes cut in it. And he spends 90% of the movie in that sheet. Never once did I think that's not him under there. Yeah. Just because of the physicality. Of the, it felt. It, it, <laughs> I don't know how you even say it. it just, you knew it was him, you know? And I, so I thought Casey Affleck did great. And I love the, you're right. I love the questions this movie makes you ask. I love the, the, the pondering of life and what holds us here and keeps us maybe from going on, you know? And just the little things. I mean, remember when he sees the ghost next door and they, they just kind of wave? Yeah. Or how time starts slipping away from him and he goes longer spans without, you yeah. know, coming back to. And how they show time not necessarily being just chronological. Yeah. I mean, just a fantastic film. I couldn't, I couldn't um, um, promote it more. I couldn't recommend it more. Uh, if you get a chance, it, I'm sure it's on demand, video on demand, or on Hulu or on Amazon. One of them. You need to see Ghost Story. All right, that's our number. What numbers are those? Eights. We're just flying right through this list, Adam. We are. <laughs> 
Well, let's go to number seven, and I'll start first. My number seven film just knocked me out of the park. When it first, when it came out, and, you know, I don't know, I know Adam does the same thing. We, we kind of keep a running tally of our favorite films on letterboxd.com. It's a great, great website just to track what movies you've seen, what you thought of them. I can't imagine doing this without Letterboxd. I could not do it without Letterboxd. And so after I saw this movie, uh, it shot right to number one of best of 2017 because it just blew me out of the water. And it was Baby Driver. Um, Baby Driver, director Edgar Wright, writer Edgar Wright, uh, Ansel Egor to whatever the, the young heartthrob that my daughter knew of immediately as soon as I mentioned it is in this. Uh, John Hamm, John Bernthal, you know, full full cast of characters, great uh, characters that you just would know, supporting cast characters. But this this movie just blew me away by its use. It's a heist film, and it's a you know he plays a, a car driver, getaway driver. But its use of music is incredible. It just blew me out of the water. I just loved... I've seen this movie at least three times. I watched it with my kids. I've seen it at the theater. I've watched it again. I own it on iTunes. I mean, I just love this film. And if it wasn't for some real heavy hitters for me personally later in the year, this film probably would be in my top five, you know. So, Baby Driver, what would you think, Adam? Was you a fan of or not? Yeah, I absolutely love Baby Driver. And I think, you know, Baby and Deborah were one of the best couples of the year for a little movie romance. I thought, you know, even while the rest of the story is going on, I, I really like the couple. It was just a sweet example of young love, you know, kind of that innocence to it. And, you know, you've got the whole world in front of us kind of a deal. Um, but I promise you, if you if you only watch this movie for the music, probably one of the best opening sequences to a film as far as the use of music, when he's delivering coffee after the first heist, just a great delivery of music, graffiti and signage and things in the background. The graffiti actually changes when he comes back. They had people tagging it as he walked away to refresh the graffiti to different lyrics. Exactly. So, so just just incredible. I would highly recommend Baby Driver. Adam, what's your number seven film? All right. My number seven is a film that not a lot of people have probably heard about. It's called The Square. Um, it's out of Sweden. I think it's a... a a French-Swedish co-production from Ruben Osland, who gave us um, Force Majeure, which is a great movie about how a relationship can fall apart. The Square takes a run at modern art. Okay. And just asks a simple question, and it spirals out of control, and that's what I love about it. It's a museum director that's in charge of a, a big modern art museum, and he asks the question, if I put your purse on a pedestal, is it art? And from there, you know, it's it's whatever we perceive, but the story is crazy. There's a human gorilla that terrorizes people. It's about <laughs> his wallet being stolen. Oh, my. It's as unusual as a movie you might see this year, and I, I just really loved it. I, um, it should be out soon. It's not quite out yet on VOD, but I'm grabbing it the second it's out because I just want to see it again. I saw it at Fantastic Fest, and it only came out for a short run in theaters. But it's called The Square, and I highly recommend it. Nice. Absolutely. I did not get a chance to see it, but I will check it out. That's for sure. All right. That's going to take us to our number six films. And these are the last films for this. The last film for this segment. 
And uh, unfortunately, my number six is found a little bit later or higher on Adam's list. Another mystery movie. <laughs> so uh, we will hold off on uh, my film. Why don't you go ahead, Adam, and give us then your number six uh, film, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of bring this first segment to a close. All right, so my number six is one that I've recommended you all see, and I, I did so over Thanksgiving. I got a lot of feedback from that, and it's The Big Sick. Uh, the true story of how Kamal Nanjiani from Silicon Valley and Emily Gordon met, fell in love, and married. This is one of the best romantic comedies in years. And it takes a real interesting twist on the story because he really has to date her parents while she's in a coma. So that's the twist on it. There's nothing else like this. And the, the parents are very well played by Ray Romano and Holly Hunter. And it's just a very charming, fun movie. And it deals with some heavier issues, you know, interracial marriage when religion's an issue. Yep. Um, dating in this modern world and having to meet the parents in this. I can't recommend it enough. I know a lot of people have said that it's one of their favorite movies of the year, so I'm happy to put it on my list, and that is The Big Sick. It is a great movie. Um, I think it just missed. Um, I think it was around, I'm trying to look here real quick. It was around 14, 15 for me. I couldn't agree more. I love all the dynamics of it. Uh, the best rom-com of the year by far. Maybe a couple of years. Maybe a couple, yeah, more than a couple probably. But um, it is a great movie. I highly recommend it. it, it it's perfect for uh, even even if you have older teenagers, you guys can all sit on, you know, like my family can sit around the couch and watch this, and then they have an interesting conversation even afterwards. So, yep, I'm right there with you. The Big Sick is great. And, you know, it's funny because a great story, like this is such a unique story. You would never hardly ever get this in a, in a, in a rom-com. Or, or you, you might get a, a, an attempt to do this story, but it, would just, it just wouldn't come. Unless this is a real event. It's, it, because this really happened is what makes it so unique and so intriguing as a story for me. And so... Uh, I highly recommend The Big Sick. Absolutely. And it dodges some of the other pitfalls. There's no triangle here. It's not falling into any of the cliches or other tropes that you see in rom-coms because Every it's so unique of a story. Yes, absolutely. There's no breakup, fight, breakup, get back together at the end kind of thing. You know. Yeah, big reveal, none. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we're going to take a break. That's our 10 through 6. When we come back, we're going to review tonight's film, Hostels. You're listening to the Film Coterie Podcast. time to discuss our Thursday night movie and that is Hostels a new movie from Scott Cooper who made Out of the Furnace and Black Mass and Crazy Heart starring Christian Bale yeah Ben Foster and Rosamund Pike and a, a bunch of others and this is a sort of western journey movie um, Union soldiers are tasked with bringing an Indian chief back to Montana 
It's, you know, 1890s, they're releasing them. So it's about their journey from New Mexico to Montana. And it's a movie, so bad things happen along the way. A lot of bad things happen along the way. Not Revenant level of just bad on bad, but a lot of bad things happen in this movie. Yeah, absolutely, Adam. And um, right off the bat, one of the things that surprised me about this movie was... I mean, there's a whole lot we there's a lot we could get into nitpick and stuff about it. And there are a lot of things I liked about this movie and some things I didn't like about this movie. I was kind of surprised that, and <clears throat> we won't get into any deep spoilers or anything. Don't worry. But like the president sends a letter saying that this Indian, you know, chief and his wife and family need to be escorted a thousand plus two thousand miles north from New Mexico to Montana. It was right? good press, and it was President Harding. <clears throat> this is not a true story, by the way. This is just no. a fiction. But in the story, the, the Indian chief has been a prisoner for seven years. He's dying from cancer. And in a, in a move for some positive publicity, because the, the movie makes it seem like the American crowd is, is kind of turning uh, more on the side of the natives, you know, for how they're treated and stuff, um, they decide to release this guy and escort him back to his homeland in Montana. Right. And so the first thing that jumps out to me is that the president of the United States orders this guy back and his family, and they only send four or five cavalry people. They don't send a whole battalion, a whole group. I mean, I would think like, you know, 20, you know, U.S. soldiers and a captain and a whole whatever they're called, battalion, brigade, whatever, would escort this guy that journey, you know? But it's it's literally Christian Bale and like, Three other dudes, and that's it. The red shirts. The red shirts. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that aside, I will say this: this movie's pretty well cast. Um, I, I think so. You're going to recognize a lot of the faces, like in the initial crew. Um, he's got Jesse Plemons. He's got um, Timothy Chalamet from Call Me by Your Name, the main lead. Okay. In that movie, is in this is the French-speaking young soldier, the gotcha. private. Gotcha. Yeah, uh, and there were a lot of things I really liked about this movie. Um, man, is there some beautiful shots in this movie. I mean, just some gorgeous shots. I mean, you don't travel from New Mexico to Montana, and that means you got to go up through the Rockies. So you get, like, some of the most beautiful parts of the United States shown off, and it's shot very, very, very well. Um, and, and I liked, you know, of course, since it's a road movie, they are going to be attacked. Um, there's going to be great conflict along the way and some surprises. And um, I liked how when it was really wide open country, you felt more at ease. But when when they got into the like, you know, like in New Mexico, the 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 the, the rock formations in the in, out in the wilderness, you know, in the desert and and it's real tight and enclosed. And there was a lot of tension there because you didn't know any minute they could get attacked, you know. Uh, then they're out in the wide open space and you feel kind of relaxed a little bit. And then they get into the woods and the mountains of Colorado. And so I thought he did a really good job of using the topography to kind of help with the tension in the film. Yeah, and they run into problems along the way. Weather, um, raiding Comanches, and even some fur traders and stuff like that. There's just danger everywhere. And like you said, it's a little surprising that only four guys would be escorting this group. Yeah, <laughs> through what's probably known to be dangerous territory. Um, so let's get into the performances. Christian Bale is obviously the lead. Um, he's not a happy guy. He's his usual kind of dour self. 
this is not an, an atypical Christian Bale performance. Um, he's just very quiet. And the, it does stand out because we just saw Phantom Thread. And what stood out to me is Christian Bale, He's he's been through a lot. He's a butcher. He's done terrible things. Yeah. He's very melancholy, but I didn't feel like there's a lot going on with him. Unlike in Phantom Thread, where Daniel Day-Lewis gave a performance where there was a lot in swirling inside of him and you could pick up on him, Christian Bale in some scenes just looked like a, a brick wall. I, I could not agree more. Um, and I think because we just saw Phantom Thread and we saw what a internal performance can... Tormented character. Tormented character can really look like. I think I think if I had not seen Phantom Thread, I'd be much higher on his performance because I think overall it's a solid performance. Yeah. Um, but at times it just kind of looked like he was trying to have inner tur- turmoil, not really having inner tur- turmoil. And um, and I tell you, I got to be honest with you. I don't know if it was just me or if you noticed this or not, but there's one scene, and I'm, this is not giving anything away in the movie. There's just one scene where. They come across a turncoat that they uh, ex-soldier that Christian Bell knows. This is Ben Foster. Yeah, that they have to escort back for trial or for sentencing or execution, whatever. Long history between the two, and there's there's one scene where it's an over-the-shoulder switch back and forth, and and he's tied up to the uh, tree, and Christian Bell's like you know two feet from him. So whenever one of them talks, it's over the other shoulder or right behind their head and you're watching it. And every time they would switch back and forth, either something, the lighting was off, but it just stuck out. So obvious that like these were clips that were spliced and put together. It just did really took me out of the movie. I was like, man, that's some really, it just appeared to be not really good editing. The timing was fine, but just something about the way the shots were framed yeah, I kept, be, I kept looking at the back of the dude's head thinking, that's just a stand-in. That's not him, you know? And, I mean, it could have been a reshoot, but it looks like they shot with natural light. Yeah. And that could be really tricky at the time of day they wanted to shoot. They're not going to have a lot of time, and a reshoot it, later almo- will look different. It's almost like they shot it, and then they went to reshoot that it. that at dusk. Right. And so, and maybe it's just the where the sun is between the two that was off-putting. could have been as well. Um but but I, I thought that Christian Bale was was good, solid. Um, I thought the, the 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 woman that they come upon, I thought her performance was really good. Yeah, that's Rosamund Pike. She's a great actress, and she starts this movie. I mean, she's got the hardest performance right off the bat. Something terrible happens to her family, and well, let's just let's just stop right there for a second. I was not prepared for the beginning of this film. I mean, you know, I love Westerns. I love Journey movies. I love road films. And this is, you know, this movie has all the bells and whistles that I like in a film. So I'm going into this film predisposed to really liking it, right? But I was not expecting it to go that intense. And my heart was racing. I mean, my heart was racing a couple times when this tragedy happens right at the beginning, you know, and... Wow, I just was, it, it's, I, I'm telling you, you just better be, I'm just, I'm going to give you a little warning, just be ready to lock in load right from the beginning. So that's what I was saying about performance. Right off the bat, she's got the hardest job of the whole movie. You know, she survives something terrible, and when they come upon her, she's kind of a wild woman. She's in shock. She's broken. Yeah. She's broken. She's in shock. And all of a sudden, the movie kind of wastes her because they get to a fort, and a day later, she's 
mostly fine. She's ready to go, and um, she's kind of the nurturing one during the trip. She is a bridge between the soldiers and the uh, the Indians they're escorting. Which was very odd for me. It's an odd choice. I, I think this movie is really uneven at times. Yeah. It, I, it's definitely a mixed bag. And, and you know... Uh, it wants to be really great. It's shot beautifully. I think even the acting performances all across the board are okay to, to good, you know. But it's just, you know, the tone is not right at times. It really goes bad with the tone. Um, it can't really decide f- from whose perspective they're going to shoot the movie, you know. Um, you know, I, I think the story that's there is really solid and I think it's really could be great. But it, I'm just going to say, it, it was just a miss for me. Just barely a miss, you know? Yeah, it's The script is funny. Um, it really dies at some points. Whenever they reach a safe area, the character work isn't that interesting. It, it just loses momentum. The people they meet in the town are not anything. They're, they're nondescript. All the, all the conflict is really from on the road, which is fine. But there's other things. I mean, I didn't really buy his redemptive arc. We've been talking about redemptive arcs all week with three billboards. Here... I don't necessarily buy that his character, the whole career of doing what he had to do. I mean, they talk about him murdering women and children without batting an eye. I don't really buy that he can, in a matter of days, turn it around and and see a different side. I I personally think you need to turn around and look at Clint Eastwood and Unforgiven, and then you'll see what that that kind of person looks like after a life of that, you know? Yeah. you know, I think that they're trying really hard. I think for the most part, there are a lot of people that's going to really like this movie and connect with it. Um, but, you know, even though it's shot beautifully, even though there's some pretty really solid acting across the board, I got to be honest with you, at least on the group that's traveling on the road, you know. Yeah. And here's the thing, too. The movie brings in a second set of red shirts. Yes. To replenish. Because you have to replenish. Somebody's got to take arrows in a fight. But there's some confusing uh, the way they shot things, like the attack on the French fur camp, one of their guys died, and I don't, for the life of me, know which one it was. I can't remember who it was, and I don't remember. I c- couldn't tell. I <laughs> couldn't tell. That's another thing. When it got to, the action sequences were not shot great. Yeah. It being on a horse and moving around and fighting, you lost your spatial awareness really easily with the film, and that was kind of disorienting a little bit to me. Um, but man, I mean, you know, if if I was just off the cuff going to give it a rating, I would say probably two and a half, three out of five. You know, out of ten, uh, I'm I'm at a five or six. Yeah, it's middle of the road kind of a deal. There's some highlights to it. I think Bell's performance is, I think it's solid. Um, I thought, like I said, the girls' performance was great. I did like how they integrated the Native American language and use of it. And they, di- they didn't conveniently have a, a chief and his wife and son that could all speak good English. I thought that was pretty cool, you know. I thought the movie's too long. Yeah. I, I thought there was a point in the movie they should have ended it and not went to the ending scene. Would have made it a much better movie. Left all that undecided a little bit, you know. Um, but they had to have the Hollywood closure part, which was I was disappointed about. And I literally was sitting on the edge of my seat at the end of this movie thinking, if he does this thing, if he does this one thing, I'm going to I'm going to just yell and get up and leave, you know. And he kind of went there, but he didn't do it as 
as bad as he could have. I I don't want to spoil things, but the ending really bordered on a catastrophe for me. And the finale is the weakest action in the whole movie. It is, yes. Yeah, it's kind of a weak finale, and um, I mean, I think we can just sum it up, and no one's gonna argue that this one's a mixed bag. It it came out in 2017. I haven't seen it get nominated for anything award wise. Cinematography might be the best part of it. Well, I was wondering. So, so it did come out in seventeen. Yeah, it's just getting rolled out now. Because I was wondering, this movie it looks like they're trying to make it a, a Oscar contender, but why did they release it? In, you know, they must have looked at it and thought, "Oh, this is a hot mess. Let's just release it in January, February." But it did come out in seventeen. Yeah, no, it was an award contention. They they put it out in December. Oh my gosh! Wow. But okay. It didn't, it didn't pick up any significant buzz. So hostels, um, you know, a, just a slight miss for me. Um, so I wouldn't recommend it to go to the theater, but I would recommend it if you want to catch something on at home, you know. If you like this kind of movie. This is not going to convert anyone to the genre. No. So, and I will say it is violent. Things happen to women and children. Um, and, I mean, you just you got to be ready for that right off the bat. Yep, absolutely. So I don't know. I wouldn't recommend this one. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. So, All right, that's going to wrap it up for Hostels. When we come back, we're going to finish our top 10 films of 2017. You're listening to The Film Coterie. We are back, and it's time to do our top five out of our top ten. This is it. This is it. So I will kick it off because I get a pun on this one. My number five is on Roger's list the first time it's happened. It's higher on his, so I don't get to talk about it right now. So, Roger, what was your number five? Okay, so my number five, this is 2017 may go back as the year of the woman for good and for bad. And my number... uh, Five reflects this. It's a woman director and a woman lead actor, and it's also a superhero movie. And it has woman in the title. Has woman in the title, and that's Wonder Woman. I flat loved this movie. Um, I didn't know what to expect. I thought Wonder Woman was the best thing that came out of Batman versus Superman. Gal Gadot was great in that that first outing. Um, I was anticipating this being a good movie, but just everything about it. I like that it sit back during World War One. I, I like that that's that's sit you know in the early 1900s. I like the mythology that they brought into it. I thought all the care the the actors were so I mean so struck. Chris Pine is great. Uh, Connie Nelson and Robin Wright are great in this. Um, you know, uh, even 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 though it is a little bit. The villain gets a little far-fetched at the end, I will admit, you know. But it's a Marvel, it's a superhero film. Of course, he's going to threaten the world. Of course, it's going to be the end of all time, you know. And, I mean, let's be honest. We haven't had a good villain in a comic book movie since Heath Ledger in Dark Knight. Exactly. And so, I just love this film. And I just, I love Gal Gadot. I I just, um, I'll be honest with you. I hope that she will just continue to do work. I want to see her in stuff outside of the superhero genre, you know. Um, I think that she has something to offer. And so Wonder Woman was my number five movie of the year. Okay, it's on to 
number four. Adam, why don't you go ahead, because this is where my number six will come into play here. Talk to us about your number four movie of the year. My number four is a coming-of-age story, and I thought it happened to be the best coming-of-age story this year, and that is Lady Bird, the directorial debut of Greta Gerwig. And I know you liked Edge of 17 last year, but I think even this is a better movie than Edge of 17. I I agree. Just as far as exploring a a young girl's journey through high school, and especially her relationship with her mom, I think this is an all-timer in that category. And it, it feels honest and refreshing and... It's very entertaining, and uh, this is one of the better times I had in the theater all year. Yeah, this was my number six movie of the year, Lady Bird. It was a great time. It, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, Sosa Ronan, however you say her name, who plays Lady Bird, she's great. Um, you know, I just lo- it was real. It was heartfelt. It was. It reminded me of, oh, maybe there might be a tamer version of this story in my own household with my wife and daughter you know how they can go from on the verge of strangling each other to best friends in the matter of a minute and a half yes it will happen trust me you know so I got a good chuckle out of that seeing it out of my own even some you know some throwouts to in my own my own family as well too you know um but I just thought it was honest it was real it was I, I thought the mom in this story she was hard-nosed and tough because she's had to be that way. She's had to pull herself up by her bootstraps. Um, yeah, I think it was, was it Lori Metcalf? Was that who it was? was yeah, her mom? from Roseanne. From Roseanne. I thought she was great in this. Um, it, it deals with her going to a Catholic school in a funny way, but yet not patronizing to the, to the Catholic religion, I didn't think, you know. Uh, it's a girl who... Even though the city she lit, grew up in, Sacramento, is um, a beautiful, great city, she hates it and can't wait to get out. But like any 17-year-old, maybe once she gets out, she realizes she had it okay where she lived, you know? So I can't say enough about Lady Bird. I thought it was great as well. The script is so good because it never feels like it's treading water to get to the conclusion. Greta Gerwig just knocked it out of the park, and she makes it look easy. So... Any props to her? I'm rooting for her in actually the best director category at the Oscars. I would love to see that. Or Jordan Peele. I'm glad both of these debut directors are in the running this year. Or there might be a um, certain Mexican director I wouldn't mind if he got it as well. I know. (laughs) I know. I love Guillermo del Toro. I mean, we really can't lose in the director category. We cannot. Every one of them is great this year. Oh, man. All right, that was my number four. What was your number four? Well, speaking of Mexican directors, <laughs> my number four was The Shape of Water. And that was my number five. Now, now Adam, help me out here, okay? Um, I love this movie. And I cannot, for the life of me, get my family to even consider watching this film just because of the premise, which is a, a, a creature from the Black Lagoon-type monster... A gill man. A gill man that's in a secret government lab, falls in love with a, with a girl who's mute, cannot speak, but she's you know can hear and can communicate great by sign language. Falls in love with the, this girl, falls in love with him, and it's a it's a fairy tale romance between a gill man and and a, and a cleaning lady at a facility. What's not to get behind with that film? And it's a fairy tale. It's very much the princess and the frog with the twist at the end. 
absolutely. I love The Shape of Water. It's magical. It's um, I love the I love the throwback to classic Hollywood. Uh, the references to old black and white movies and old um, dance numbers that they used to do. There's a dance number in this movie. I mean. Oh, I could just go on and on. I, I don't want to spoil a lot because maybe there's some of you out there who haven't seen it, but there's a point in time where if I describe to you in the natural what happens with the gill man and the girl, and I'm not talking about the romantic stuff. I'm talking about a song and dance number where, you know, fade to black and go into a class. You know, you would think that would be, and it just works. Somehow in this fairy tale that that Guillermo del Toro has created, it works and comes together. I was mesmerized. I, I loved it. Uh, it's shot beautifully. Um, it, there's a there is a pun intended fluidity to the way the camera moves, as if even in motion, it's in water when it's on land. You know. Um, oh my gosh. What what else could I say? The supporting cast is great. Um, Great visual design. The sets are incredible. The monster design's great. Yeah, Michael Shannon is great in this as well. Octavia Spencer is great. I mean, the cast is just spot on, tremendous. And this is Del Toro's small little monster film, his small creature film or whatever, you know. If this is his small one, I'd hate to see what a big one looks like from him, right? Well, like Crimson Peak. Um, so there's an interesting anecdote. He wanted to shoot this in black and white. He called this a small movie because it's just one monster. The studio wanted it in color no matter what. So to counter his arguments about how to shoot it, they threw more money at him. And he, he increased the scope of the movie. Yeah. The real secret ingredient here is just that Guillermo loves monsters. By far, he's just one of the best horror fanboys out there. And he cares about the monsters and he loves them just like a little boy would. And when he's writing this movie, he's able to share that with us. We have the same experience he does. Yes. Because of how much he likes this genre. Yep. And he, he brings it across. It, it transfers from his heart to the movie to us. Now, now let me say this. I want to address a couple things. And then I want to talk, wrap up with Sally Hawkins' performance. But, but I want to say this. There, there was a lot of controversy in the public news, in the, in the entertainment world, about the romantic, the physicality of their relationship. Now, I will say this. This is not a movie you want to go take seven, eight, nine-year-olds to. It is rated R. It's rated R. It has adult themes in it. It has adults behaving like adults, okay? I'm just going to say that right there, okay? Leave it there. But the... And there is great implication about the romance between the Gill man... And Sally Hawkins' character, Elisa Esposito, or whatever you know her name was, there is a relationship, a romantic, physical relationship between them. But it's <laughs> it's not it's there's nothing there's nothing pornographic, graphic. It's nothing like that. So tastefully done, so romantically done. It, it, it's it's almost, and I probably get hate mail for this. It's almost no worse than Beauty and the Beast when they're doing the dance scene with the Beast and Belle. Just with less clothes. Just with a little less clothes, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. Send me, send Roger the hate mail, right? But anyway, loved Shape of the Wa Love Shape of Water. Sally Hawkins, I'm just going to say it right now, she is my vote. I've seen just about every performance, not all of them, well, 
I don't know if I've seen all. I've seen most of the, the performances. Best performance by an act, a female actor in a lead role for me in 2017. Hands down. If I was an Oscar Academy voter, she would get my vote for best actress. Okay. We're moving on to number three, though. Number three. The top three. And let me just put this out there. My top three, to me, are almost near-perfect films. And right up until we did this episode, they were flip-flopping on my list. Yep. So they're all extremely close. Couldn't be any closer for how I rank these. So I do think, separated from the list, my top three are clearly my favorite three movies of the year. I would agree as well, too. Um, and I agree. My top, If I do my letterbox tomorrow, these top three will probably shift a little. If I did it the day after that, they'll shift again. Um, only one of my top three got a five. The other two got four and a halfs. But the more I think about it, they're all three fives. I'm just going to be honest with you. And we have some crossover, of course. And so we'll only get to talk about like one of these at a time as we move through our list. So my number three appears later on your list, Adam. So I'm going to go ahead and let you mention your number three at this point in time. My number three happens of three in the title. It is three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Uh, I was excited for this movie from the director and Martin McDonough from the very first preview. Roger can vouch for that, that way back in March or April, I, at one of these podcasts, I said, you have to see this trailer. It's from the guy that did in Bruges. So I've been pumped for it ever since then, and I, I really think it delivered. Now, I'm very aware of the controversy surrounding this movie. There is some backlash against it. Um, people feel that it is tone deaf to some racial issues, and I, I'm not going to argue their point. It's a valid point. But for me, I feel like this movie doesn't really judge the characters. I think it leaves it up to the audience. So whether or not you feel a certain character has a redemptive arc... I think that's up to you. I, I didn't sure. really get that from the movie. I yeah. think that's, you know, a terrible person can do something good and a good person can do something terrible. I think it's up for whoever to decide if they're redeemed or not. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It um, did not make my top 10, um, but I think it's a very good film. And you're right. You know, what, one of the things that Sean McDonough does is he takes good people and has them do bad things and he takes bad people and he gives them good. He lets them do good things. And that's life. Yeah, his characters aren't 2D, they're not 3D, they're almost 4D. They have so yeah. many layers. And, I mean, one of my favorite moments all year is in the first 10 minutes of this movie when Francis McDormand's character sits down with Woody Harrelson's character. That's your hero and your antagonist. And they flip on you. She says something terrible and he says something good. They're not who you think they're going to be. And that's what this this movie's about. And, and I think that's the reason people say that it has tone issues or it's tone deaf. You know, so, some of the critics I've listened to over the last year have said things like there's a certain scene where in, in the kitchen, um, the, it goes from threat of death to laughing to empathetic, almost in tears, crying for somebody else in the space of about three minutes, maybe. Um, but I bought it. I thought, okay, because if you have a long history, kind of like Lady Bird, if you have a long history with somebody, that stuff happens. And they have a common loss. <laughs> they both lost their daughter. 
Yes. So they have something to connect it's to. It's a very common pain that they share. And so um, I, I don't, I, I, I see some of that. I guess where the movie missed for me was maybe I wanted a little more resolution. I wanted a little bit more redemption from somebody. And, and he's just, Sean's just not, he wasn't just going to give it to you. And that's great. That's his choice as a, as an artist to do that, you know, and I respect that greatly. It just missed for me not having a little bit more of a tighter closure toward the end. I wanted some resolution. I wanted the bad guys. I hate, I'm not trying to give it away, but I wanted them to really get it, you know, but who were the bad guys? See, that's the other question. Who's the real villain in this film? You don't, yeah. I mean, here we are three, four months later, we're still talking about this film. Who is the bad guy? Who is the good guy? All those lines are gone in this movie. All right, that's going to do it for your number three. Uh, my number three, as I said, is on your list a little bit later. So we're down to one and two. Let's do my number two, right? Because your number two is my number one. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to have much to say this round. <laughs> so I'll go ahead and mention my number two film. Um, and I'm going to just say it for the last, a good part of the last part of this year from like November on. This film was my lockdown number one. Four and a half stars. Um, directed by Christopher Nolan. It's up for best picture of the year. Um, and that is Dunkirk. And, you know, we, it's interesting. I watched this in the theater, and then I watched this at home with the family on the big screen with, with decent sound. It does not play the same at home as it does at the theater. We saw it in 70. I saw it in 70 millimeter mm -hmm. too, which may have contributed to my appreciation of this film. Um, to me, it is Christopher Nolan creating, directing, sound editing. Um, I love the use of time. I, I love that there's three different time. Uh, um, he's got this thing with time, we know. <laughs> this is... The best way I've seen it described is time compression. There's stories happening at a different rate, which makes it work in this movie. I, I'm all about how they did this. Some people complain, but I think it's to the movie's strength. Yeah, and I loved his use of time. I think the the the, the acting performances are solid, great. I just think it's a perfect film. I think it's perfect filmmaking, not necessarily perfect film, but perfect filmmaking. It's Christopher Nolan on his A plus game. Great sound editing, great uh, um, just general editing, great performances, great lighting, great effects, uh, some tension. Um, I, I just and in seventy millimeter, it was just a glorious experience for me. Now we watched this again at home, and it was a real miss. I mean, my two teenagers and my wife, neither one of them liked it. They were like, "Really? That was the whole movie? That's the movie? That's going to be best picture nomination?" It just did not work. My wife did not like the time thing. They kept saying, now, okay, explain to me again. Okay, it's minutes with the air. It's hours with the airplanes and, and minutes and days here and a week here. And they just never got the time thing. It was hard for them. You know what? I think the difference is just being in the theater, paying full attention to the movie because there's cues that you can see when things are lining up. When this plane flies overhead, you then see that later from the plane's perspective. So you can... Map it in your head where it's going. Casual viewing, you're going to lose that. Yeah. You're not paying as close attention. You're, you're missing these visual cues of how the story's in her line. 
And I, I think that's that's the difference is just not being in the theater. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a, a couple quick things, and I'll wrap up with Dunkirk. Um, this had one of the most memorable scenes of the year for me in a film. And I had two great scenes during the year that really just I thought were great and impactful. And both of them had to do with silence. Um, the, 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 the latter one, I loved um, the Star Wars movie, The Last Jedi. Uh, there's a scene where there's an explosion in a, in a hyperspace. And it's use, called the Holdo Maneuver. Yeah, the Holdo Maneuver. And I loved the use of silence right in the middle of the film there. Uh, I thought it was great and really impactful. To me, there's a scene with the World War One planes, and I love these planes. I love this, I mean, World War Two planes. I love these, the way they were shot and the sound and the gun and everything. And then this pilot, this British pilot, he pushes and pushes and pushes, and he runs out of gas, and he's gliding. And there's just this moment where he's gliding over the beach, and it was just so moving. I, I can't explain it. I was just like, Wow. I mean, I was just literally in awe and just loved that he gave everything he could until that plane was out of gas, and then he just glided it to a landing on the beach. So, yeah, I love Dunkirk. Uh, of course, I'd highly recommend it. It's my number two film of the year. What I, it, Dunkirk just barely missed my list. Um, what I was going to say is I when you were talking about some of the best scenes of the year, the opening of this one where they're trying to get onto the hospital ship. With the clock ticking, it's and great. This pier that's been blown to hell. Yes, and that's that's such a great scene. So I mean, I I thought you were going to mention that one. And, and I've had a chance because of iTunes to watch the extras with Dunkirk, and it's phenomenal. They shot on the actual beach. They shot in mostly natural light. Um, they talked to people who were there, and they recreated that pier. There was actually literally a blown-out section of the pier with one board across it, like you're talking about in that opening scene, and that actually happened. You know, people had to the, the, carrying the, the wounded had to run across that in real life. So um, I just even watching the extras just brought the movie up even more for me. I just think it's fine craft of filmmaking. Um, whether you like it or not, that's that's my number two. So. Are we at number ones? We are. Our number ones are on each other's list, just in different spots. They sure are. Should we flip a coin? <laughs> Do you have a coin? I don't have a coin. <laughs> All right, I'll go first. Okay. My number one movie of 2017 is Get Out by Jordan Peele. Get out of here. <laughs> it's horror, but this is an all-timer for horror. It felt like we were watching a new classic horror film and that's why I couldn't put anything above this he he went into a genre that's very it can be very tired we see the same thing with minor changes get out was a whole nother beast wholly unique and so engaging and I'm glad it caught fire with the audience I mean it's it's good when we have something this powerful as horror and it took off somehow I'm thrilled to see it up for best picture I'm thrilled at the audience response and I couldn't be happier to name it as my number one. If if anything is a testament to how good this film is, I'm not really a big horror guy, okay? This was number three on my list, and it came out in February. Now, this is a horror film with all the accolades that It had, you know, Stephen King's It, and it, you know, for good or bad, it even has controversy behind it, but, 
you know, it, it had a huge success. Get Out came back out, came out in February, and they're they're casting Oscar ballots in January, and it's and it's all over the place nominated. It has held strong all year. It was my number one film. The long, if I had to rate what film sat at number one the longest on my list, it's Get Out. Yeah, it is brilliant. It, it is it, it is funny. It's scary. There's psychological stuff going on, crazy. Social issues. Social issues, absolutely. Um, it is a master film. I cannot wait to see what Jordan Peele does with his next movie. I don't care what it is. I'm going to be in the theater to see it. Um, I think people will look back on this film 10 years from now and still be talking about it. I think that 20 years from now, they're still going to be talking about it. Um, into our our... Our lexicon of vocabulary is now we're now using phrases like the sunken place for when you for when you are feel completely helpless and you feel like you're everything's out of control all around you and you have to sit and watch your life in front of you unfold. That's the sunken place. Um, the acting performances are great in this film. I have no qualms with this being your number one film. I, I think it's a great choice. Um it's just a beautiful, it's just a beautiful, beautiful film. Scary, funny. Um, I don't think there's a missed beat with one performance in it, one actor in it. They're all cast wonderfully. Um, I could go on and on about Get Out. It's a great film. I have a lot to say about your number one. So what was your number one? Well, if there's ever been a rocket that went to the top of the list, it's this film. That My number one film for 2017 is the Phantom Thread. I don't even know. I mean, we just reviewed it last week on the show. Um, and, and I and I even I, I toiled I toiled over this before the show, saying, yeah. Adam. I had the same issue. Should I put this movie this high? I've seen it one time. I've thought about it a lot. This every day since I've seen this film, I've thought about this movie every single day. Yeah, I have too. It, it, and um when I came down to it, when I kind of just went, <sighs> my gut said, for me, this is the best film of 2017. You said that Dunkirk was perfect filmmaking. I think this is a perfect film. I, I, I agree. It's the only one that got five stars. Every, you know, I, I we don't really need to go into a huge review because we spent like 30 minutes talking about it last week on the show. But I think every the top three performances are spot on. They are great. Daniel Day-Lewis will probably win the best actor. I don't know. Um, but he'll probably win. Vicki Kripes is great. Leslie Manville is great. Um, they play Alma and old so-and-so, his sister. It's just a beautiful craft of filmmaking. I said this last week on the show. Daniel Day-Lewis is so great in this role. And he loses himself so much in this role that he he builds a canvas on which Alma and old so-and-so can really shine. And they their performances are elevated because of him. Um I think I think, you know, I, I just can't say enough great things about it. The the score is beautiful, it's shot beautiful. Um it doesn't miss a beat, it's the right length. Um, I, I, I lost myself right into the film. There's so much subtext, <laughs> which I love. That's my kryptonite. Uh, yeah. You know, 
it's not at all what the previews said. I mean, I you know, I thought, well, is this a about a quirky guy that hides messages? You can't and advertise is he a, this. Movie. Is he a spy or something? I mean, you know, you, yeah. you're wondering by the previews, what's this really about? You couldn't cut a true ad for this movie that could convey what it was. Yeah. This is this is not a love triangle movie at all. Um, yet it deals very strongly with themes of love and uh, themes of, of uh, conf- conflict because of love. Creation of art. The creation of art. The How much you have to give of yourself to marry someone and commit to that person. And what does it affect in your craft? Um, so, yeah, my number one film, uh, I just go see it. I love PTA, Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, he, he's He's like... I've got this holy grail of directors, and he's right now entered into the the top five of holy grail of the directors. The holy pantheon. The holy pantheon of of directors for me. I think he slipped into number five there. I'm ready to defend this now. I'm going to put up my walls, and I'm ready for all comers. But I do feel like Paul Thomas Anderson might be the closest thing to a Kubrick we have right now. Okay. I, I, I Yeah. I can't really fight that. Yeah. I mean, he, he is making... Stuff that's different, engaging, that speaks on multiple layers. Deep. So deep. deep. So films that will be showed in, in colleges, in, in film classes all over the country for years to come. You can't tell me that Phantom Thread won't be shown in film classes for years on understated performances. <clears throat> Here's Daniel Day-Lewis, who usually plays these gregarious, larger-than-life in your face, I mean, there will be blood and gangs of the, the gangs of New York. He fills the room normally. He, he 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 just he dominates the screen, and he slips into this tailor, this this, this courtier, this 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 designer of women's fashion from the 1950s, and he disappears, and he's no longer Daniel Day Lewis, and you buy that he 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 becomes a world renowned, you know, dressmaker. And you don't, you don't, it's natural every time, you know, I, 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 one of the, one of the things I came down on the post was Tom Hanks is solid in that performance, but it just didn't seem natural. It didn't seem, he didn't come across to me as the hard editing editor, you know, Daniel Day Lewis slips. He is that character. He's no longer Daniel Day Lewis. Um, and there's just so many layers to this film. I just loved Phantom Thread. It, I promise you, whatever it, it it wins at the Oscars, it deserves every bit of it. In my opinion, in my opinion, it's a great film, um, and I, I would love to get your rebuttal, your your take back from it. You know, if, if you're out there listening, you're like that movie stunk, or or and, you know, and, and and let's go ahead since we're here now, Adam. Um, I, I didn't get to see every film. You know, like Darkest Hour is nominated for Best Picture. I haven't seen it yet. Um, Call Me By Your Name is nominated for Best Picture. I, I haven't got to see it yet. So there might be, but these are the best films that I saw in 2017. You know, this is my list of films. Do we want to do honorable mentions? Yeah, I think that's worth pointing out. Um, let me pull up my list real quick. So the ones that just missed my list, and these were all fighting for the first spot and maybe the bottom three or four. Uh, Call Me By Your Name, great movie. I just had the chance to see it this weekend. It just it just barely missed. I couldn't squeeze it in, and maybe if I saw it a second time, it might rise. It missed. Uh, Florida Project, I, Tanya, My Friend Dahmer, Wind River, Molly's Game, The Disaster Artist, Baby Driver, which you have, and Raw. 
I mean, these movies were all jockeying for position in my top ten, and they just yeah. barely missed. For me, um, Blade Runner twenty forty nine was my number eleven. Just missed there. Loved. I thought it. I thought it was the best shot film until um, maybe maybe Thor or um, uh, Phantom Thread or Dunkirk. I mean, uh, Star Wars: the Last Jedi. I loved. I know it's huge. It's a, a big polar. People love it and hate it. Well, I loved Star Wars: The Last Jedi, uh, War for the Planet of the Apes. I, I think that um, the mocap work in that is second to none. Um, the Big Sick, which was on your list, I had Wind River. I thought was great, and the most emotional I got all year in the theater was for the animated film Coco. Um, the song "Remember Me," which is nominated for an Oscar. And it's also nominated for Best Animated Feature. They played that song twice, and when they play it the second time at the end of the theater, I you can ask my kids, I was bawling. I'm I'm like wetting my shirt crying at the end of this film. <laughs> Did you ugly cry? Almost. <laughs> I almost ugly cried at A Monster Calls. Okay. <laughs> I was sitting between my parents at Fantastic Fest, and it, it hit kind of close to home for all of us, and I think we were all crying. Most of the theater was crying for oh. that. Man, uh, my kids just laughed at me. They're like, Dad, we knew Dad. When, when they started playing Remember Me, we knew Dad was crying. My wife and uh, daughter were sitting in another seat, and my son and I were sitting up together, and they were like, oh, yeah, we know Dad was crying, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, those are some of my – I mean, we could go on and on and on. It, Beauty and the Beast. I loved American Maid. Brawl and Cell Block 99, which made your top ten. There was just Mudbound, the Netflix original. There was some great, amazing movies – you had Killing of a Sacred Deer, which just missed mine. It was on my list as well. Um, yeah, some 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 just great, great films, you know. Well, uh, let's jump to our viewer's choice. Yes, I'm interested so, to see what, what their top three or four were. Yep, we asked for submissions from our listeners, and we got them. Uh, thank you to everyone that emailed them in. We got most of the submissions by email. So what I did is I scored them. I gave higher points if it was a number one versus a number two. So after scoring everybody's list, here's our top three. Coming in at number three, Ladybird. Oh, nice. Number two, The Big Sick. Okay. And number one, by a huge margin, appearing on the most lists at the highest positions, Get Out. Wow. Well, you know what? I think those are three great choices. I think we have They're a smart, all crowd pleasers. I think we have a smart audience. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, let me just bring up a couple lists real quick. Uh, my friend Chris sent in a list, and I want to point out that I was so happy to see Mother on here because, well, it was extremely divisive. People hated this movie. Yes. Chris and I went together to see it, and I had a great time because the audience around us had no idea how to deal with this movie. So, And it was great conversation afterwards. I loved reading about the movie and, and various theories, so I was happy to see it on the list. I uh, asked also on Facebook for some of my friends and, uh, and colleagues to share what was their number one movie from 2017. And, of course, they were all over the board. Thor Ragnarok made the list by Maria Scott. Uh, my friend Jeremy Hiles in West Virginia. Ready for this one, Adam? Alien Covenant was his, really? was his favorite film of 2017. And, Jeremy, I'm going to call you out right now. I cannot believe Star Wars did not make that list. I know that was just a complete oversight because he's like the biggest Star Wars fan I've ever met. Maybe he hated it. We know Star Wars fans that hated this it. This is true. Maybe Jeremy actually hated it. So, um, 
Yeah, Lisa, Lisa Unger from West Virginia. She had hidden figures, and it kind of actually was two years ago, but uh, it was actually was a was a great film as well too. So um, I'm trying to see if I have any other any other films from folks. Nope, that was my Facebook submissions. So. All right, and my I'll do one last one. Uh, Dave Evans. Uh, Dave is a filmmaker from Cleveland. He has a short right now called "Wish You Were Here" that's currently doing the festival circuit. Um, so his number one movie was The Big Sick. He gave Get Out number two. Um, lots of movies on here. He agrees with you. Coco's on his list. Number six. Uh, Blade Runner's number nine. Logan, the Wolverine, the final Wolverine Wolverine movie's number ten. Yeah. I know you and so, Matt, you and uh, Matt were really high on Logan as well. Yeah. So, so I mean, this, thanks, Dave. That's a good list <coughs> to send in. Absolutely. All right. That's going to wrap it up for our top ten list of 2017. When we come back, we're going to wrap up the show talk about our coming attractions. We still have a lot of stuff coming up in the weeks to come. You're listening to The Film Coterie. We're back, and this is our last segment, our coming attractions. And uh, February is going to get a little crazy on us. I'm going to do some traveling, but we're going to endeavor to keep podcasts coming out each and every week. Um, I know we have the Oscars coming up, so we're going to do an Oscars show pretty soon, Adam. Yeah, and Roger and I are going to try to do the um, see all the shorts. Yes. So hopefully we can give a preview of that. And that talk would be with... great. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and... We may have a surprise or two. We've been invited to do some touring of some local theaters, and so maybe we'll do something that direction as well. Uh, maybe even bring one of our local theater people on the show and have them talk about the movie experience from a theater manager perspective. So, well, let's just put it this way. No promises, but we're going to think outside the box. we got to get through February <laughs> somehow. we got to get through February, the, the, the dry month. We do, however, have one good movie coming out, one big movie coming out in February. And then March is going to be crazy, right, Adam? March is insane. It was insane last year, but this is even crazier, I think. So what's our February blockbuster? Our February blockbuster is Black Panther. Yes, two weeks, right? Feb- three yeah. weeks? Yeah, three weeks. And then after that, the week after, is Annihilation, which is coming from the writer-director of Ex Machina. <clears throat> I'm really looking forward to Annihilation. I read the book, and I was lukewarm on the book. Um, I thought it had some interesting ideas. Um, but I love the cast of Annihilation, and I like it. Sci-fi, it's right up my alley, so looking forward to that one. So March. Oh, come March, on. We might have to do two episodes a week. Uh, let's do it. I'm ready. All right. The first week, we have Red Sparrow. Yes, looking Jennifer forward to it. I think it looks really good. It looks great. I, I'm excited about this one. Uh, Death Wish, the remake with Bruce Willis, which who knows how that's going to be. And then Alpha, which is the... Boy and his dog, the first dog ever adventure through primitive times. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, the week after is A Wrinkle in Time. Yes. Disney spent some money on this movie. I'm currently rereading A Wrinkle in Time right now. In prep, and just that's the level of professionalism we go to on the film code, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then after that, I mean, the same week of Wrinkle in Time, we have Strangers Pray at Night, which I love the first Strangers. I know it's not up your alley, but I think this could be a good horror movie. Yeah, I've, n- I've never seen it, the uh, first one. Gringo is a dark comedy with Charlize Theron that's gotten good buzz. 
the hurricane heist. You saw it. You and I oh, both saw this trailer yes. tonight. I will be in the theater to see that one, baby. <laughs> this one looks to Geostorm and says, hold my beer. I'm going to get real stupid. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. I'm so looking forward just to seeing Google this Just Google the Hurricane Heist trailer, and you yes. can see it for yourself. Yep. And then Thoroughbreds, which I missed at Fantastic Fest, which got really good reviews. Uh, the third week, we got Tomb Raider. We'll see. We'll see. The jury's still out on that for me. And after that, we have... Uh, Pacific Rim Uprising. I'm so looking forward to it. Um, hey, now I'm just telling you right now, Adam, we got to go ultra screen or IMAX for that one. Yeah. I want to pay the extra money to see that one. Isle of Dogs. Yes. Uh, and then the month finishes with a little movie called Ready Player One. Really? Hmm. I wonder what that's about. <laughs> it's about everything. It literally is about everything. Yes. And that's going to be an interesting uh, podcast for us because there's already, I think, mixed reviews between mixed feelings about that one from the previews between us. So, and the book, we disagreed on the book. Yes, yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan of the book. I think you were a little more meh on the book. I don't have the date. Ernie Klein is coming to town. He's doing a signing at one of our libraries. Maybe we could get him on the show. <laughs> yeah, he's got all the free time right now. Just so we can buy and do our show. Hey, I'll, I I can at least ask, can I? <laughs> you watch if I score Ernie Klein. <laughs> I, you've taught me and everyone that I could bring. I, I bring in the Greasy Strangler. That's who I bring in, and proud of it. Well, I, I tell you, Adam, it's been a year of podcasting with you. I've had a blast. Um, I've it's been a great ride. It's it's turned out different than I thought it would. Uh, it's evolved into something really fun. I hope I hope our listening audience has enjoyed it. Listen, we're not professionals, but we act like it, right? And uh, we're having we're having a good time, and we're enjoying the podcast. And at least I am, and uh, I'm looking forward to year number two. Yeah, I'm having a great time. I'm already looking forward to nightmares. We're gonna have great coverage this year. We're getting the team together. We're gonna be all over Nightmares Film Festival. We'll have our members only jackets for Film Coterie. That's right, buddy. <laughs> so, yeah, and honestly, thank you for listening. Thank you for all the feedback you've given us. It was great meeting you at Days of the Dead. Um, you're always welcome to reach out to us. We're looking for ideas. If, if you think we should do a segment or something, let us know. Absolutely. Well, that's going to wrap it up for not only this episode, but our first year of podcasting. We'll see you next week on The Film Coterie.